Roadmen, in today's podcast, I chat with a Dubliner who cycled the length of Africa. Crazy, crazy interview. You're going to absolutely love this one. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Welcome back, Roadman. Thank you for joining me for another feature-length Roadman Podcast. Wednesday is my favourite day of the week when I get to chat turf, as we say here in Ireland. Talking turf with our guests and today's guest is someone who I'm super super excited to chat to his name is Derek Cullen he's an adventurer he's a storyteller he's a public speaker and he has one of the best stories I've heard in a long long time my goal with this podcast it's you know it's stated in that intro isn't it it's to use cycling as a tool for health happiness and longevity and Derek is a guy who embodies all of that. He was someone who had a look at his life, wasn't happy with the direction it was going. And he said, you know what? I'm going to press pause on everything. I'm selling all my worldly possessions. I'm going to buy myself a bicycle and I'm going to cycle Africa. He talks to us about the crazy challenges of navigating Africa, the fear he felt sleeping in a tent and even pissing himself, would you believe, with fear at times and the battle to overcome these demons. He went on these two journeys. He had the external journey that we see from north to south in Africa, but the big journey that Derek went on, which we dive deep into, it's that internal journey and that journey to find happiness again. It's a story that's going to resonate with a lot of listeners, and it's one of the most enjoyable interviews of the podcast that I've recorded in a long, long time. Before I jump into the episode with Derek, I would ask you all to dig deep into your pockets and head on over to patreon.com. The link is in the bio. It's patreon.com forward slash Anthony underscore Walsh. Patreon's how I fund this podcast. We don't have a title sponsor for the podcast, as you will have noticed. So the podcast is funded entirely off your generosity and your donations so i would ask you if you're getting some value from this if you're enjoying the podcast the guests i'm bringing you if you're learning something from it to buy me the price of a pint of beer once a month to say thank you and in return i will give you access to the secret podcast once a month i bring a patreon only ask me anything secret podcast to the patreons that's going to be dropping for patreons today or tomorrow so look out for that you patreons but I would ask you now to head on over to that link that's in the show notes and make a small donation because honestly, it really, really helps. And for me, it's vindication that I'm going the right direction with the podcast and it's that financial support we need to make this a viable project. Okay, we've taken care of business. This is so much crack, this podcast. Here we go. Let's get chatting to Derek. Derek Cullen, welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast. How are you doing? It's, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Derek, I'm excited about this one, man. Uh, I've, I'm not sure how much you follow on the podcast, but so I primarily talk to pro cyclists and they're all over the world, these pro cyclists. You know, you're talking to lads in Dubai, Girona. Now I'm talking to a Dubliner around the corner from me. <laughs> right, and we're going to need to make it clear that I'm most definitely anything but a pro at anything. <laughs> You're very modest when you say that, but we're going to get into your story. And I think there is an mm. awful lot that our listeners are going to learn from you today. I'm not a massive consumer of social 
media content. I tried to draw that line a couple of years ago and I suppose I've been better at it in the last six months where I'm on social media a lot as you need to be in this game. But I tried to say, you know, I'm a producer of content, not a consumer of content. Yeah. But I fucking consume your content. (laughs) (laughs) Do you? I do. (laughs) And what do you reckon? What's the difference then? Not that I want you to blow any smoke now, but what's the difference between watching what I do and anything else you might find on there? Honestly, it was just the Dublin thing hooked me straight away. I had a buddy who recommended uh, your Instagram page. And I thought, you know what, I'll give it a look because we're in, we just chatted briefly off air. I feel like we're trying to find our way on a similar path. We're both outdoor enthusiasts. There's a lot of, you know, trying to find best practice around mental health, productivity hacks, uh, you know, the power of story, all these type stuff. They're common trends in my podcast. And I see so much of that in your podcast. And when I just heard it wrapped in a Dublin accent, I was like, I can't but be drawn to this because you know, <laughs> you're just used to listen to you know American accents all day, right? That, well, that's great to hear as well because everything to me is a story now. You know, I've always like the, the reason I got into all of this is a story in itself. But when I make a say a piece of content, even if it's a short video, I always try to have some sort of story in there and I don't want it to be come across as scripted or anything like that but I want to just make sure that there's a point to it and so that way that way there has to be a middle and an end point to what I'm saying you know so it's good that you say that I'd look like my dream is to become a masterful storyteller whatever that might be I just want to be good at telling stories because that's what I love listening to when other people have good stories I'm captivated by that you know I'm obsessed with story and this idea that we have to have that three-act narrative to set up conflict resolution and you know this is what I'm trying to tell clients all the time so we're working with getting clients closer to their goal their goal could be, you know, to complete a 100K cycle or it could be to go and, you know, ride a six-day event in France. Mm. But if they can't do it at the moment, it's because they're telling themselves a story mm. as to why they can't do it. So my job is then to get a better story and replace the story, the self-defeating story they're telling themselves at the moment with my better story. I'll give you an example because I hate telling uh. stuff in the abstract like that. So yeah. I had I had a uh, – Hote Hill is the local hill to us, me and Derek here in uh, – in Dublin and it's a big mecca for cyclists you know they all try and go up and one of the things lads try and do is you time themselves up and we have this uh, app Strava that times you up the hill and you can you know there's no cheating on it because it works off GPS so I had a friend and he was stuck at his time going up this hill he was stuck for about two years on it and his story was cycling coaching and getting advice around cycling coaching it's only for pros it's for someone else and so I had to just say to him look I've worked with people in your exact situation. Here's the results of saying it works for average Joes. And it was only when I could replace that story that he told himself that it's only for pros with a story that it works for Joes that he was able to set himself free from that. And then, sure, he knocked like 60 seconds off his PB in an eight-week period. And he'd been stuck at that PB for about two years. Right. But I know you're big on stories and mm. the sort of the power and negative stories. And I heard one year, recent Instagram lives, you were talking about that as well. Yeah. Well, the, the thing about, I suppose me was that I wasn't always a negative person, but I became, so my parents passed away in 2006, 2008 within a couple of years of each other. So that was a difficult period in itself. But after that is when all the damage was done, let's say, when I started to become very self-destructive, making a lot of bad decisions and just making a mess of my life, making a mess of the relationships that I had with family and friends and so on. But 
that was a time when I was incredibly negative and I was just doing all the wrong things. And it was also a time when I wore myself out both physically and mentally. I got to the point where I was like, I couldn't do it anymore. I didn't have any more energy even to be negative, you know? So I got to that point where I had to make a decision. I knew that if you're going to keep going down this road, you've already burnt out and it's a dead end. So why don't you try going the other way? And the other way, I wouldn't say it was necessarily being positive, but it was more hopeful. So I decided that I had to go off and change the story and I had to go off and do something more positive and start addressing all the things that I got gone wrong and try and figure out how I could get back to where I was before all that mess happened in the first place. You know, so there, there was a huge story there that I had created for myself, being the mistakes. You know, I'd created this absolute mess of a life myself but I had to go and reverse all of that and create a new one then which is well what I essentially have today I guess but that that was the the bigger picture for me if you want I love this idea and I'm not sure if you've heard this uh I think it's a Tony Robbins quote I'm always referencing Tony Robbins I love his stuff uh Mm. bootlegged a few Tony Robbins courses back in the day remember used to download stuff illegally off with LimeWare and I remember (laughs) getting a few Tony Robbins courses I thought it was a legend (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did that too. But I was going to say, was it before LimeWire? I know he was sending DVDs out at the time. That was sure, for sure. Yeah. But I remember you had this concept of success leaves clues that you don't need to figure all this out on yourself. That you just look at somebody else who's got to where you want to get to, and then almost re- like pull apart and reverse engineer the steps that they took to get there. And you know, I do this all the time with podcasters now. And I look and I see the big podcasters: your Joe Rogan's, your Tim Ferriss's. Like, you know, Joe Rogan doesn't land a 200 million euro Spotify deal without leaving a little bit of a paper trail as to how he got there. You know, what was he doing 10 years before that? What was he doing five years before that? But I also, I was watching one of your videos a while ago and it was a brilliant concept. You were traveling back to, traveling, I'm trying to make it sound all exotic. You were walking around the town and you were going back to places that made you happy when you were a kid. And I got to thinking, you know, if this idea that success leaves clues, happiness definitely leaves clues as well. And we can journey back to times like that when we were happy and start just cultivating more of that in our life now. Mm. It, I love the way you link the two of them together. I wouldn't, like I've listened to Tony Robbins a lot in the past, but I, w- I wouldn't have linked them, but it makes total sense. And uh, what you're talking about was when, I, I believe when I was walking around Dublin city centre, uh, where I was a window cleaner at the age of 14, 15, and I was very happy in my life. So I was walking past these places and they brought up those same feelings. They were fleeting moments, but those same feelings were there. And like you say, they were, they were, I was learning something from them, whether consciously or subconsciously, I was getting something from those moments. And I tried to do that every now and again. But something, I haven't told anyone this really. I'm, I walked around Ireland last year for five months. And what people don't know is I decided to walk from Dublin to the Great Blasket Island in County Kerry. Are you familiar with I know, yeah, I know it's a long walk anyway. It's a long walk. So it took me a month to get there. But what people don't know is there was a specific reason I decided to walk to the Great Blasket Island. And that was because that was the last place in Ireland where I felt truly happy. And I, at the time I had a girlfriend, my parents were alive. I was on the island and I was looking at it with wonder. And I was just so happy to be in Ireland and everything in my life was going well, my career and all this. So I actually walked to the Great Blasket Island to try and reconnect with not just that moment, but that time in my life and to see if it was still possible to feel that way. And of course, it was just a fun adventure, right? I was doing it for that reason too. But that was kind of the, the, the story behind that trip that I never really told anyone 
You know, people just thought I was doing a, another Forrest Gump kind of move, but there was actually a bit of method to the madness of walking back to where I was walking, you know? You know when you say stuff started going wrong for you? So you feel mm. like, was it a fork in the road moment where, like for me, deciding not to go back to working in law, that was a real fork in the road moment where I thought, mm. you know, there's an obvious career path planned out for me here. You go in, you do your junior council, senior council, and yeah. that just scared the shit out of me. And I just thought, you know what? As hard as entrepreneurship is and this road of figuring it out, I, I, this just excites me more. And what's that Helen Keller quote? Life is a daring adventure or nothing at all. Or nothing at all, yeah. And it's like, fuck it, that looks more crack and life's meant to be crack. And that was a fork in the road moment for me. Did you yeah. have one of those moments or was it just gradually drifting from a place of happiness to a place of unhappiness? I think, yeah, definitely gradually. There, there was a number of those forks that you speak of. One of them of a very specific one. I was sitting at home watching football, followed Man United with my dad. Commiserations. <laughs> right. <laughs> Certainly now, anyway. <laughs> but I was watching football with my dad, and my mum had uh, just passed away a few months before that. And I just remember looking at my dad. Look, He was looking out the window, and he was looking past the television. And in that moment, I actually said to myself, like that I don't ever want to have any regret not that he had regret but I, I was thinking about my own life going there's much more to life than even what we're watching on the tv here there, there must be much more to my life even so that was a fork in the road where I started to question the career I was in at the time which was banking I was in investment banking and that was one of those forks but there was another major one that was when I actually quit my job and went to Africa to do a big cycling trip I, I definitely want to get into that now in a second. That's, <laughs> this shit's crazy shit, folks. You're I, well, about to turn off. Don't. <laughs> well, that was the major fork now. If there was ever a fork in my life, that was the one that led me to this very podcast. You know, that changed everything, that one decision. And it happened in the blink of an eye. And 40, 40 minutes later, it was in motion, the whole thing. Right, let's do really our crazy time machine shit here and travel back to, you know, what's happening just before, like... Are you supping a point and go, I might cycle from one side of Africa to the next? How does this come about? I was going out a lot of nights on the booze. It was more of an escape for me to be drinking at the time, just from my problems and the things that had happened. Um, I got to the point where I was just hung over every day. Someone annoyed me in work about something. It was work-related. I walked outside. I stood looking down the River Liffey, and I just felt a couple of tears. And then I heard a different voice in my head just saying, what are you doing to yourself? Like you made all these decisions. You're not really unhappy about what that person said in work. You're unhappy because of all the, the, this stuff you're doing to yourself. So it was a kind voice. Now I have to stress that it was a different voice than I'd heard. It wasn't critical in any way, but I kind, just said but to still myself, schizophrenic nonetheless. Will it <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. And I still hear that voice, but I, at, the, at the end of that little blurb, I said to myself, now what are you going to do about it? And, I didn't know was the answer. So I walked back in. I said to the boss, the, he was on the phone. I said, hey, Dave, I'm going home. And he said, what do you mean you're going home? And I said, yeah, I'm going to go home now. And he said, what time are you coming back? And I said, I'm not coming back. <laughs> you know, this big Hollywood kind of movie scene <laughs> I'd set for myself. I said, I'm not coming back. And I walked out the door with a cape blowing in the wind. But I ended up, I ended up walking back to the apartment. And my deal was, I said, by the time you get back to your apartment, You've got to decide exactly what you're going to do from this moment on. And by the time I got back to my apartment, I decided that I was going to go to Africa and cycle from Cape Town. I didn't know how far, but Cape Town to Cairo. Now, just to piece together how that 40 minutes worked, 
I walked up Grafton Street, up past Stevens Green, all the way to uh, Milltown, Dublin Six. And I, I said to myself, right, where were you, where's a place that you can go that you were happy before? And I traveled to Africa, found it to be a very interesting place. I said, right, maybe I'll go to Africa. Now, how can you start addressing all these problems? And I decided I've got to be on my own for this. Cyclists will understand this one. I've got to be on my own for this. I've got to just go do something on my own. And I initially said I'll do it by motorbike, do a trip in Africa by motorbike, but I couldn't afford that and I didn't have a motorbike license. So then I said, wait, what if I did it on a bicycle? Because I saw someone do a bike trip in Europe before and that looked interesting. Now, I'd never done any of these things before. I'd never really cycled even. I'd never been camping, all that kind of stuff. But by the time I got back to the apartment, that was it. I was going to fly to Cape Town. I booked a flight to Cape Town. Uh, sold everything in my apartment, put it all up for sale on adverts.ie, put all my clothes in the clothing bank down the road, and a week later I was in Cape Town looking for a second-hand bicycle. I need to put up a picture on my Instagram of that bike because, folks, if you have an image of bike packing and luxury gravel bike that this man used, it was the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But it doesn't show you like, because so often I chat to clients and they have this, I'll get started when mentality. It's, you know, we often hear yeah. people speaking, I'll be happy when. With clients, yeah. it's nearly or people who want to come on and get started with coaching, I'll get started when. And the when is always a monetary hurdle for them. When I get myself a good bike, when I get X level of fitness and you're trying to say to them, just get started with where you are right now with the tools you have right now. And that bike you had, when I seen it, I just thought, you know, that's a man who's just embraced that, get started right now. Right. But you know what, Anthony, I thought at the time, this bike is amazing. This is the, anyone would be delighted with I didn't know anything about bikes. So when I got this one, I thought this is going to do with a job. This would be grand. It was a size too small for me, which you probably noticed from the pictures. It's fucking um, dangerous looking yoke as well. <laughs> but I didn't know any of these things. You know why I picked this? I, well, I picked it because I was given it. In Cape Town, all the cycling is road cycling, pretty much. There's, there is a bit of mountain biking, but it's, it's hard to get your hands on a second-hand mountain bike. And the reason I needed a second-hand one is because I needed one that was old, so there weren't things in it that would break that I would have to figure out how to fix. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I assume um, stuff did break along the way, did it? Oh, yeah, all the time. And I did, you see, I, look, I, I can't believe I'm saying this in this podcast, but I did get someone to show me how to fix a puncture the day before I left. And these two lads in uh, Woodstock Cycles in Cape Town, they're really experienced cyclists. And they were, they were saying to me, you're going to do what? I said, I'm going to cycle up through Africa, like all the way to Cairo. And they're like, this guy, you're not serious. Like, I was like, I am. Can you help me get a, a bicycle? So they showed me how to fix the puncture. They waved me away from the shop. And they were obviously thinking they'd never see someone like me again. You know what I mean? They, he's not going to last long on that trip, never mind survive it. So, uh, it's just a crazy it was, it, shit there. Yeah. And just to, to touch on what you said there about getting started, you know, I actually booked my flight to Cape Town that day because I figured that if I flew far enough away from Dublin, I wouldn't be able to turn around and just go back home again. And if I booked the flight, that meant I had to go. So I forced myself to start because I knew if I thought about it for much longer, I'd probably just go back to my job the next day or I'd probably back out or chicken out or just come up with a new idea of how I could defer this one, you know? So talk to me about this trip. Like, Mm. obviously it's too long a trip for you to break down and talk to me about the whole thing. But so you went the entire length of Africa. Yeah. So from north to south or? 
I started in the south, so Cape Town's the very southern tip. The the trip finished in in uh, Cairo, so the very north, almost the north tip of Africa, and it was about. I always get this mixed up. I think it was eleven and a half thousand kilometers, and I covered about twelve countries in all of that. So it would have been every type of landscape you can picture in Africa, like from the Af- proper African savannas, African bush, immense mountains, and then huge deserts. So the Namib sure. deserts, the Sahara desert. You know, a proper podcaster probably have a real deep question for you here, but my head just goes to. <laughs> A ginger Irish man in the African heat. You must have been sunburned to fuck. I did. I actually, I got heat exhaustion on my first <laughs> week in the Namib desert. And this was, I was KO'd. I just put, I managed to reach a lodge. It was, I was, I was in bits now. I literally, I couldn't cycle anymore because it was hurting me too much. So I was pushing the bike for about the last two hours over this really bad road at the time. And I managed to find this isolated lodge. And I put my tent up beside it. And I was there for two days, just lying down, drinking water to get over the, the heat exhaustion. But you're right, because there was nowhere to get shade there either. And yeah, because yeah, factor I, 50 wasn't working, now. It wasn't. And I, I had everything covered too on my skin, but I didn't know what I was doing, right? It was quite, I'm a very incompetent <laughs> person at times. I certainly was then. And it meant that I was kind of jumping head on into stuff that I really shouldn't have been. And that was one of them, like cycling across the oldest desert in the world, you know, who does that with no experience so of course I felt it was a great idea at the time uh, did you have any uh, crashes along the way yeah the first couple of weeks I went right into a thorn bush in South Africa and that was because I didn't know how to balance the bike properly there was a lot of weight on it um, otherwise I was, <laughs> I was usually going too slow that you couldn't crash <laughs> <right>? <laughs> I'd come to a stop on a lot of hills especially at the beginning I couldn't get up the hills I just couldn't so I'd be pushing my all my might and then I'd sit down for half an hour have a rest push again and this was a great thing about the trip though right I knew nothing about cycling my brother is a good cyclist he's from over in Sutton over that way and he was really worried about me because he knew I couldn't cycle. I went out one day with him for a 10K ride and he had to drive me home because I couldn't finish it. <laughs> right. So I started the trip. I did 25K in the first day and I, I fainted on top of my tent. I didn't even get to put it up. I just tried to put the tent up and I fainted. But the second day I went out and I did 60K and I was my own hero that day. I was like, I can't believe it. It's 60K in a bicycle. This is unbelievable. But that's how the, the year went on. I was crying a lot for those first few weeks and a couple of months, let's say, for different reasons. I was lonely, but also not having experience and not knowing what I was doing. But I was also growing so much in confidence from being able to just keep going every day and getting a little bit further every day, not just in distance, terms of distance, but every day I looked at the map, Anthony, I was going, wow, look at where I am. Like, I've got this far. I never thought I could even do this. So that was a huge thing that happened throughout that trip. And as that grew, it expanded. So when I came to like the Simeon Mountains, for example, in Ethiopia, I was able to ride up the Simeon Mountains with over 70 kg in the back of my bike. Now that would, that would have been literally not possible at the beginning, you know, but it was just pure, not just experience at that time of the trip, but it was just mind over matter. I'd gone through so much on the trip up until then, I just kept telling myself, I can do this. I've gotten this far. What's another mountain? And did you know what to pack? Like I've limited bikepacking experience, but bikepacking is getting real trendy in cycling now. It's the idea of just, you know, you're making purpose-built stuff for, you know, your typical road racing bike. You can get all this purpose-built luggage. So I had a go at it during the summer there and I rode uh, from here in Moigaf in Clontarf 
uh, down to Kinsale. Uh, my mom's from Kinsale down in County Cork, so it's oh, two. Nice, yeah. Well, it's I think it's got to three hundred, three hundred and fifty k down. Yeah. So it was a big day riding down. And you did it in one day. I done it in two days, so I two two hundred k days. I kind of oh took. Oh my god! I right, took yeah. some. <laughs> I took some deviations on a buddy in Torless. So I stayed yeah. with him on his couch the first night, and then went down the following day. But even for that two day trip, I found I forgot everything. I got to the, his place in four stages, like no toothbrush. I was like bollocks. I forgot toothbrush. <laughs> now, go to get get into me jeans and stuff. It's like shite. I didn't bring any runners with me. Do 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 do. Intermission time. Folks, this is our brief little reprieve in the middle of the podcast, a time where we can take a little collective exhalation and just say, ah, woosa, relax. It's also the time where you can head across to patreon.com forward slash Anthony underscore Walsh. The link is in the bio. I ask you to make a small donation, buy me the price of a beer to say thank you for the content and support this podcast. In return, you will get access to the secret podcast, the Ask Me Anything Patreon only podcast, which comes once a month to our Patreon members. Thanks for your generosity and let's get back to the scheduled broadcast. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I have that experience where you're like, oh no. Right. Well, you know, the, the Africa trip, I couldn't forget anything really because when you think about it, for example, if I was in, when I was in Namibia, like people say, did you not, or did you, how often did you get lost? I couldn't because there was usually only one road. So I just had to remember what direction I was going when I woke up <laughs> and just keep going that way. Right? And that was like literally what side of the road did I camp? Okay, it's this way. Because it would look the same in every direction, right? So there was that. But also, if I forgot something, it was going to stand out like a sore thumb. I want to be properly dumb to leave something behind because you just have to look back and it would be right there in front of you. <laughs> so, and the, the other thing was that I, I, uh, I would kind of appreciate if I if I had known what I was doing then, because the bike was two times the weight it should have been. I was carrying stuff I never even looked at in the bag for that whole year. But I, I really was killing myself. I was cycling up hills and saying to myself, what can I get rid of in my bag? I'm sure a lot of your listeners will understand this one too. But I was doing stupid things. I was throwing out pairs of socks thinking it would save weight. And then the next day I'd be like, oh, where's that pair of socks I threw out? I need them now. You know, so I, I didn't really get over obsessed with the, the weight on that trip. I do with hiking nowadays a little bit more, but I, I definitely understand where the obsession comes from, trying to lighten in the load, you know. And I suppose this is a question to you know, it's not something that comes easy as us Dublin lads to show yeah. any sort of weakness or emotion, but were you scared or lonely on the trip? Because uh, I suppose they're two different questions. Scared, I suppose, first goes to the actual security aspect of it. And when you think about Africa, mm. it doesn't feel the same as backpacking across, you know, Spain or Italy. It feels like there's a bit of an edgy fucking blood diamond feel to this thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, with, with the first one there... I mean, that, that's the fear with the first one, with the loneliness. That's really what the first few weeks, every, every night I was crying in my, in my tent, not just for the first few weeks, but for the first couple of months, I would say at least, I would have moments where I'd just have a bit of a breakdown. And that was due to being alone, of course. I was totally alone for a very long periods, especially when I was camping or when I was cycling in the day. It was just me and my own thoughts. And a lot of those thoughts weren't nice, right? I was, do I do was you mean alone myself, on the trip or do you mean you feel alone in life with your parents haven't passed away? Ah, uh, both, you know, both, because I was physically alone. I wasn't really talking to anyone. No one knew I was down there doing what I was doing. And then the also the aspect of that I was physically alone 
for those times. And as I was saying, like the, it was because I was starting to ask myself questions that I never dared to ask before, you know, and I, I like asking myself really deep haunting things that were just destroying my own character. But I had to ask myself those questions in order to get to the other side, you know, in order to start fixing those problems. So there was that aspect and that so was making what sort me of questions you asking yourself. Well, I was drinking way too much. That was a start. And that the drink, like, why was I drinking so much? I was telling people because I loved the crack. I loved going out with the lads. I loved the banter. But actually, the truth was I, was I was escaping my feelings. And my feelings were that I'm totally, I feel totally alone. I feel like I've been abandoned by my parents. Even though that didn't happen, I felt like my, my parents had abandoned me because they, they both suddenly just disappeared. And then I was also feeling as though the world was against me for the years that followed that, you know, I felt I was, had this victim mentality, but I was never allowing myself to believe that because that's not a very attractive quality, right? So I was acknowledging to myself on the bike while I was cycling, you know what? You're not a victim. People die. People's parents die. You've been very privileged. You had a very good upbringing. You're just feeling sorry for yourself way too long and holding yourself down because you're too afraid to face the truth and start going out and reaching for the opportunity in life. You know, so they, I just found those questions were very, I didn't address them in the past because I was easily distracted too, right? When you live in the city, you're distracted not by just by nights out or drinking, but by everything, by online, social media, your friends, work, everything that's going on around you. You've very little time to think to yourself. Like I even was talking to friends at the moment about their career and about where they're going with it. And mm. so few people are willing to pick up their head and actually look at what direction they're going and ask, am I happy? Do I like where I'm going? And they, it, it's not even that they justify not picking up their head, but they don't even contemplate picking up their head because they're just so busy. They're get your kit ready for work tomorrow and the next day. It's your shorts and shoes are ironed and mm. polished and off into the fucking car, stuck in traffic all the way into town, work all day, come home, pick up dinner on the way home, and then it's rinse and repeat. There's not right. a lot of time for introspection in that day yeah. schedule. And I guess Africa and a cycle like that, it just gives you so much time for that introspection. Exactly. And it, it, that's what cycling does too, right? You spend like, you spend so much time on the bike, especially when you go out on your own, you spend so much time. It's almost like self-therapy. Uh, you have to, and that's, what, that's, and that's what's great about cycling too. It can be bad for some people in a sense that they, they might be facing thoughts that they didn't want to think about. But because you're, you're too busy cycling and thinking about the bike and you're in motion, you're, you're, you tend to be a lot more positive in terms of your thoughts. So that's what definitely helped me on the Africa trip was the bike, the rotation of the wheels, the fluidness of the trip. Every day was just rolling. One was rolling into the other, so to speak. And then met metaphorically too, you know, that's what was actually happening. I was at one with what I was doing. So it really, really helped me. It, it, was, it was difficult for me to get used to being on my own and thinking about these things but it was actually therapy. It was me starting to coach myself and starting to, to bring up these questions so that I could address them and not just have them uh, holding me down anymore, you know? And did you find that over the course of your trip, the length and breadth of Africa, did you find resolution in your own head with some of these questions? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What, what I would say is everything's easy to say in hindsight. So when I finished that trip, for example, after one year, I, I thought I had everything figured out. And I thought, oh, that's it. I fixed all my problems and all of that. But actually, when I went back to the city then and went back to the real life, if you want to call it that, I found that a lot of those issues were still there and I hadn't addressed everything that I thought I'd addressed. And one of, I think the big elephant in the room was, are you going to go back to the life that you, you had before now or are you going to 
are you going to start going and doing something that's that feels more meaningful or more purposeful to me so that was the one thing I hadn't done until that point that I really had to go and address after that do you ever journal I do now and I did a couple of years ago I've only started back into it a couple of weeks ago yeah you? It would have been awesome to see your journal across that Africa trip. Oh, actually, I, read, I wrote a blog journal, yeah. Um, <clears throat> you must send me that and I'll share it with listeners as well. Yeah, yeah. It's actually it's on a different website. It's called nohangingaround.com. Uh, that was what the blog's name was. And yeah, what I did was... Uh, check that out. Because yeah, I think, it, it, I think the, the journaling, for me, it addresses a lot of that stuff you're talking about. Like, I, as part of yeah. my morning routine, I have this morning routine where it takes me probably a half an hour where I get up in the morning, first thing I do, I have this, I'm going to show you someday, I'll get you over someday and I'll show it to you, uh, this red light unit, and it's, it just, it simulates the sun rising, uh, because we get such shit cloud cover here in Ireland, that we don't get the sun, and we've such a, you know, primitive ancestral need for that sun, and the sunlight penetrates our cells, at a level which we need, and we crave, and not having access to it, it's, you know, brings on things like seasonal affective disorder, and inhibits testosterone production, and a lot of stuff you need for performance, so I start the day with just 10 minutes standing in front of that, and I'll get my meditation done when I'm standing in front of that, I'll down a pint of water with some salt and some lemon in it, I'll jump into a cold shower, and then I'll have a coffee and I'll journal, and kind of try and keep that to a half an hour, 20 minutes, a half an hour, and I'll try and do it every morning if I can, because I feel like it just sets me up for the day. But on that yeah. journaling piece, what I try and do is look back at yesterday and think about what lesson was life trying to teach me. You know the way, sometimes yeah. we need to repeat the same mistake 10, 20, 50, 100 times before we get the lesson from it. And like the classic example is the hangover. Like you talked about drink there. Like waking up with a headache, having no energy and hating yourself is clearly yeah. life telling you wasn't a good idea to have those 20 shots of tequila last night, lad. but right. it does take us sometimes, you know, going to Africa and stopping drinking before we actually heed that lesson going, you know what, yeah. this much drink isn't actually good for us. Right. And it, another thing with that is, is uh, my, my case was very extreme, right? It was quite a, a ridiculous thing to do to go and sort your problems out. Nobody should have to go and cycle Africa to sort their problems out, you know, <laughs> especially when there's lying and hyena and all this outside your tent. But I, th I think something that I've noticed in life since then more so is that there's quite often a point in people's life and it is a fork whereby something, it's usually something very bad, something very significant happens in their life. It could be a death, it could be a breakup or a divorce, it could be losing their job, becoming redundant, it could be anything like that, but it's a moment that cracks their, their casing, let's say, and it makes them really think long and hard about what they're doing in their life and where it's going and what does it mean and that's a moment that kind of forces them to make a big shift to make a big decision in their life in my case it was the africa trip right and going on to do what i do nowadays but i've, I've seen that in so many people that i know and it's all relative right it won't look as significant in some people's lives as it does in others but i've seen that happen so many people with people or times with people around me and they've gone on to start their own new business, for example, or they've gone on to take a new course in college or quit their job and go do something else. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's uh, what happened to me in that case before the Africa trip. It's something that happens a lot of people in life. It's just a matter of when. But it's nearly, isn't it, trying to guess? Like, I suppose and it's a big part of the podcast. And it's a big part of what you do with your Instagram uh, videos. Mm -hmm. It's nearly trying to get someone to take corrective action 
before yeah. it gets to that chronic stage. Like you can go to the physio to get your knee fixed early and get a small adjustment. You don't have to wait to get the full-blown fucking operation. So right. it's like Africa is the address for chronic stuff, but a lot of stuff you're teaching through your, your, to your Instagram it's like being out in the mountains and just getting, because especially in this COVID era we're living in now where everyone's yeah. scared of their fucking shadow. Yeah. It's like, there's no one in the mountains. You know, that's why, that was my big beef with the lockdown we had here in Dublin. Remember we were at 2K? Yeah. And like, I, go up there, yeah. 2K for me, it's Dolly Mount Beach at St. Dan's Park. They were packed. Like I can yeah. ride up in the mountains with no one around. I won't see anyone yeah. for five hours. And it's like, you know, there needs to be a little bit of using your head around some of those directives as well, where it's like, yeah, you know, we're trying to avoid people and social distance, and yet I'm going to a packed beach with 500 people. Like, right, it doesn't make sense, yeah. Um, the, the, the one with the, I mean, with, with those, the messages that I try to put out nowadays, I try to just make them more relevant for people. So, for example, when I was, when I was camping in Botswana, let's say, that was the scariest part of my trip, on the Africa trip. I was terrified because there was a lot of dangerous animals outside. I didn't know how to deal with them. I could hear them around my tent and I was crying and shaking inside. And one night I fainted. One night, I w- a couple of nights I wet myself, right? I was that scared. <laughs> but, but there was, there were, there were, there was great lessons to be learned from that in terms of fear because I did that every night for weeks and months on end. And eventually I realized about fear that, you know what, the things I'm afraid of either one, they don't happen or number two, they don't exist. And I knew that because that's what my firsthand experiences were teaching me. Now, the thing was, I can't explain this sort of thing to people back home in a way that they can understand. Cause the first thing they're going to say is that I can't go on camp in Africa. Right. And I said, I understand that. So actually, one of my biggest motivations for coming home last year to Ireland to do a trip here in Ireland was that I wanted to do something that anyone could do. And that's what I'm trying to do every day now. I'm trying to do things and go places that anyone can do or anyone can go. And that way, whatever the messages that I'm putting out there, not only can they understand the message, but they can go and replicate it down to a T if they want or in their own way. You know what I mean? So that, that was the whole... That was the whole reason that made it so meaningful for me to be back in Ireland too, is that whatever I'm putting out there now, it's stuff that people can actually really relate to and hopefully take value from, but realize fully that, you know what, what he's saying is just go and do it now and stop waiting, like you were saying before, waiting for the right time, waiting till I have the money, waiting till I have the time, waiting till I have the experience, because the stuff I do, it doesn't require any of that. Do you know, that reminds me of the famous uh, Mark Twain quote, and it's like, I'm an old man and I've known many great troubles, but most of them never happened. Yeah. yeah. I've never heard that before. That's brilliant. You're just sitting in the tent there, scared of the, you know, the boogeyman outside. But some of those fears are like the animals outside the tent is a very real fear. It's true. Yeah, it is. But uh, actually that puts things in perspective too, right? Because I did realize that I realized, okay, you open the, the tent door here. If, if there's red eyes out there, that's a cat. That means you stay where you are, right? But there was also, out of that experience came a different lesson. And that lesson was, you know what? That was something that I should have been afraid of. It was a primal fear, but it was rational. Whereas all this crap, all this shit that I was worrying about for years, all the social anxiety, anxiety I used to get, all those little worries and what do people think about me, that actually doesn't matter. And I knew that because I spent so long shaking in that tent every night that all that stuff just totally dissipated. You know what I mean? It just became totally meaningless, like a little squeaky voice in my head. 
isn't that brilliant though like you're out on social media now and when you start putting content out you get amazing warmth coming in and you get to connect with like you know i would have never connected with you probably unless we bumped into each other in a dublin pub but social media it's great because it brings people together but you do start getting the odd person will throw a negative comment your way and you were saying you're not worrying about what people think. And I heard a great, mm. it was, I think it was Joe Rogan or podcast where he was talking about the sort of people who are giving you that negative commentary. It's like, they're just not high achievers. And he summed it up nicely by saying like, MJ, Michael Jordan is not in your YouTube comments trolling you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I always just think that now when I see a negative comment to a podcast, like MJ ain't in your comments, buddy. <laughs> it's good the, another one I heard before was Casey Neistat you know the, the blogger YouTuber the yeah. Blogger. yeah YouTuber he said uh, he's made a lot of videos about this but he said you know what the haters the people that come in and troll and leave this negative stuff that has no real purpose their punishment is their life I'm not that I'm not that mean that I actually think about that anytime I see it I often do wonder like what's that all about and when I say I don't care what people think I actually do I really do I just have to try very hard not to so when people leave negative comments which happens every like probably once a day or whatever I will notice it and I'll have to sit with it for a minute and then try and move past it. But there's times when it's just real needless, right? And anyone would be affected by it. But it's just a case of the, the, the amount of positivity I get online is over, is overwhelming. It's incredible. So that you know, kind of works really away. Well for me. And you can have this one. You can have this one and make it your own. So when I started yeah. getting these negative comments, they were definitely upsetting me at the start. And now my new default position is I care so much absolutely value a hundred percent and take on board the comments of a very small number of people. And then I don't yeah. give a fuck about the comments of the rest of people. So, you know, I have my family, my group of close friends, my girlfriend, and I'm right. obsessed with what they think about what I'm doing and what, you know, the, the image I'm putting out as they see it. And if I'm changing in their eyes, that's something I'm really aware of, but just random people online, I just have it like a shield up about it where it's just, it just doesn't even penetrate at all now. Yeah. Like, hmm. I suppose it makes sense too because you know the intent of the message from your family and friends because you know these people and you know where the, the like intent is everything, right? 100%. So if, if, you, if someone has a negative comment there, the likelihood is the intent is not very good. It's probably because they're not having such a great day themselves or a great life. But yeah, that does make sense, all right. It's, it's a uh, good tip. Derek, I want to finish it up and talk about your love of the mountains and forests. And it's something yeah. that's definitely, again, like when we talked off air, I was like, Derek, we're on the same journey here. We're on the same path. It's like you're doing health. Like the, the tagline for our podcast is cycling to pursue health, happiness, and longevity. The tag for your podcast, if you had one, could be walking to pursue health, happiness, and longevity. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to steal it now. <laughs> Fucking yeah. do it. Do it. Uh, so... But the mountains are something that's so passionate, are so close to my heart as well. Like I feel like you know, I try. I'm a sh- I don't know anything about meditating. You know, I have my version yeah. of meditating, and me too. You know, yeah. there seems to be weird snobbery sometimes around meditating. Mm. Right? You're not doing it right, or you're using Headspace, or you're shit at meditating. Or, yeah, it's it's more about the results you're getting for me than the process. And one of the ways that I find, I don't put a label of meditating on it, but it's definitely meditative for me. It's just mm. riding my bike up the mountains on my own. There's no one around. It completely clears my head. You know, the effort of cycling up the hill 
means yes. you just have to singularly focus on your breathing. It's just inhale, exhale, right. inhale, exhale for hours on end just to keep the bike going forward at that sort of intensity. And it clears right. my mind of everything. And I come back, no matter how shit the weather, and I'm just completely refreshed after four or five hours of riding. Yeah. Do you find the forest and the mountains something similar well, for you? Well, what you just described there, that is meditation to me. That's what I know is meditation. I'm like you. There's no snobbery around it for me. I, I don't like to put fancy words in this, that, and the other. So whatever works for me works. And what I do in the forest is just the same as what you do on the bike. And it is meditation. It's your way of keeping the brain. By the way, have you ever watched on YouTube a documentary called Slow Mo? No, I'll check it out. You got to watch this. If you're a cyclist, you got to watch this because it's about a guy who rollerblades down the the pathway, some boulevard in Florida, I think it is, or California, every day. And he's famous now, but he's an ex-doctor and he talks about the science behind why it makes you feel so good, that type of movement. So it's 100% relative to cycling as well. It's called slow-mo. So recommend you check that out. Definitely. But yeah, getting back to the, the forest thing, I don't know what I'm doing in the forest. You know, I go into the forest. I used to go in there to think about my problems and to go and try and sort out all the worldly problems that I had. And then I started to go in there and not think. I got tired of thinking about my problems. I also ran out of problems to think about. <laughs> so I went in there and I realized, you know what, this is just a fun place to be because it's quiet and calm and I can actually just think to myself about normal stuff, not just my problems. And then there's also, the, the, a lot of people don't probably realize this, I've started to study the forest in different ways. So um, I'm just genuinely interested. This is the nerd side of me, right? So I start to learn about why pine trees are so effective on your breathing. So there is a science behind that. The, the chemical compound pinene calms the lungs in the same way as marijuana or an asthma device. They're actually the, it's the same chemical compound used in what I just mentioned. So there is actually a science behind why you feel more relaxed in the forest or near a forest or in the mountains as you would do in the city, right? So I think about that sort of stuff. And it is just about the way it makes me feel. So like you said, when you, when you go up there, there on your bike and you, you have uh, that time to think and you're just going through, you have fresh air and you're just going through the motions and you come back, you feel refreshed. It's exactly the same way for me when I come out of the forest because I'm walking in there too, don't forget. You know, so I'm getting that exercise, I'm getting that fresh air and I'm getting that quiet that we just don't get in normal life very often. You know, we're in places where there's no traffic, where there's no phones, no computers, no advertisements, no people, people telling us what to do or what to think. So it's, it's, you're right, it's the exact same uh, type of experience. I'll finish it up on this one, Derek. And mm. uh, it's a common trend that I see among people who are happy. And it strikes me from chatting to you and looking at your content that you're a lad who's, if I don't want to say happiness is a destination and say you found happiness, but you're a long way on that path to finding happiness. And when I see that, and I love this analysis of common trends and what is the bits that make people happy. And, Again, you remind me of something that it's often subtraction to make people happy. It's taking stuff away and bringing us closer to the way we used to live ancestrally rather than addition. It's not the new car, the new watch, the new suit, the I'd be happy when. It's to take shit away and get back closer to who we're meant to be is what makes people happy. I love that. I love everything you just said there because it's actually what I try to do with the type of trips I take. 
especially I, I start to get to really strip them down back to basics, do real simple stuff that everyone can do. And it doesn't have to be a big reason why you're going to do it. You don't have to have to climb a mountain for one reason or another. You should just do it because it's fun. But it's also what I'm trying to do with my life in general is go back to the way things were. And I heard, heard someone say this recently, I think it was a doctor, that um, the hardest thing in life that people, the biggest obstacle people come across in life is not learning how to do things it's how it's it's how to unlearn what they've learned you know what i mean so all the stuff that they've picked up all the negative stuff all the stuff that hasn't served them well over the years they have to unlearn that before they can replace it with the good stuff so that's also something that i'm always trying to work on like i'm in a happy place as much as possible but i still have to work on this as much as anyone else and a lot of that has got to do with unlearning all the crap that i've picked up over the years that hasn't served me because there is a point where like none of us are five years old and thinking to ourselves you know what i'm real unhappy like we're all happy Mm. kids and it's at some point we learn something or we take an action that doesn't serve us and we go further and further down that road and sometimes it can be a big process of stripping all that back and you know sometimes it is as severe as having to take a trip across africa but the sad thing is like and you see it with you know the suicide numbers and you know both me and derek as i said we're both here in ireland and crazy suicide numbers nationally and you know it's one is too many never mind the numbers that we're saying recently yeah yeah it is. it's a, it's immense to see that now it's not really getting, getting much coverage either in the the media but the, that's a big problem right there's people not talking about it and the people that are struggling should be going to therapy if they can't afford therapy they should be talking to their family and friends about it and we should be all open to that you know so if you're listening to this podcast folks and you are struggling i would say fucking sell everything head off to africa get yourself a tent <laughs> a bike and he, fucking three years later you will be sorted please don't do that you know what i was i was giving a school talk yesterday in i don't know if i'm allowed to say the name of the school but anyway fucking go, say a, a, a big private school in 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 dublin city center yesterday college and, no, I did that one a couple of weeks ago, though. So I was giving this talk yesterday, and half of the talk was like, now, now listen, lads, I don't recommend any of you do this, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I had to premise everything with that. Because they were like, you slept, in your, you slept in your tent with lines outside. And I was like, well, I did, but I'm not saying, that's not the point, lads, right? That's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> These are the same private school kids who their ma's telling them it's too dangerous to get the bus into town because you'll have to work, walk past working class kids. <laughs> And you're right, at the you same time, it's, same, it's the lottery of life, right? It's going to be harder for them than it is for the lads around my way, you know, because they've got all this pressure and expectation on them. So I kind of feel sorry for, for kids in that case too, you know? Show me, the son more of, sheltered. show me a great man who's the son of a great man. Doesn't exist. Right. And with the story as well, Anthony, I, I'd probably finish on this point. I think for me, like the whole, the moral of my story is that like I'm 38 now, so I, I think I'm super young. I plan on living well into my 90s. So I, I just think that I felt at the age of 30, I think it was, that it was too late to go and do something or to start or to change direction, which I needed to do at the time. Not everyone does, but I did start. And even if it was now, I wouldn't think it was too late. It, it's so silly to think back at that time now because I'm like, why did I think it was too late? I've got another like 60 years left on this planet. You know, the last 38 have taken a pretty long time. So it's kind of like the moral for me is that it isn't, it's never too late to start making changes to your life if you think they need to be made. And uh, the time is right now. You know, there's always a way to start looking at how you can do that. 
definitely i'll wrap up with this short story on that team uh, i heard this one mm-hmm. and it was like an 18 year old kid queuing in ucd for a freshers registration and beside the 18 year old kid in the other line was a 66 year old man and the 18 year old says to him like oh are you in the wrong line this is registration for first year freshers and he said no no I'm, I'm where i need to be and she's like you know do you not think you're a bit old registering for like a four-year psychology degree at the age of 66 yeah. and he's like you know what in four years i'm going to be 70 years old whether i follow my dreams or i don't i was like right that puts you back in your box nicely <laughs> yeah that's brilliant isn't it and it, it's so true it's so true i don't know why i think it's because we're all afraid that time is running out and it's really not for most of us you know where we've so much time left here patience like it's taken me seven years to get where i am now and that's not the half of where i'm going so you know derek i've uh, i could chat to you all night i feel like this mightn't be our first uh, chat or might be our last chat should i say uh, if anyone wants to follow your journey which i would highly encourage them to do because it's always interesting funny entertaining where's the best spots uh for them to follow you uh, thanks thanks so much as well thanks for the time and it's been super interesting i really appreciate it um to follow me online well the hazard of what I do, I'm pretty much everywhere. But the, the one I think that's updated the most and where the most engagement kind of happens is probably Facebook. So it's Derek Cullen Outdoors on Facebook. But it's also on Instagram. I usually put stuff up in there uh, daily too or YouTube if people don't use either of those platforms. So pretty much everywhere, Andy. <laughs> and you're, you're slinging a bit of swag these days as well, are you? The outdoor brand? Yeah, so I, I started up a brand last November called Out There, O-U-T-D-A-R-E, and uh, started selling a lot of stuff last November, but then I, I had people saying that I was infringing on copyright, so long story short, I went off and got my trademark quietly, went very quiet for six months, got my trademark approved, so I now own the the, the name, and I've re- I'm relaunching it this month, so that's Out There, that's also on social media, but I'm going to start... Uh, releasing that for whoever wants to buy any in the next week or so it's like hoodies t-shirt outdoor gear i'm gonna be fucking plastered in it walking around dublin <laughs> good good great to hear it Derek. i appreciate you taking the time uh thanks so much and thank you to everyone listening out there and uh have a great week Hey everybody, it's Anthony again. Really quick, I want to invite you to join arguably the best thing I've ever put out inside the Roadman community. It's a challenge. It's a challenge called the 14 day kickstart challenge. So regardless of where your fitness is at right now, this is going to be the catalyst for making you faster and making you leaner. I've created this challenge to take the guesswork out of everything. It's 14 days of training plans, regardless of what your level is. There's masters, beginner, advanced. There's meal plans, shopping list, and even a video course holding your hand and talking you through it all. So what I recommend you do right now is just stop everything, press pause on this audio, and go to roadmancycling.com forward slash 14 day, or check out the link in the bio. That's roadmancycling.com slash 14 day.